Hello, welcome to MPHX Online. We're so happy you're joining us. As always, you can have church wherever you're at by heading to mphx.org watch or visiting our page on YouTube. We hope you enjoy the message. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, but don't, don't turn there just yet. One of the scriptures that are, that are, that are often challenging for me to understand um, comes out of Luke 22 and, and this, this moment that takes place between Judas and Jesus. It's this moment of, of what we know, most of us, of great betrayal. I mean, when you think about betrayal, when you think about the name Judas, you think about betrayal. And, and he is known in scripture. This is, this is what he's known for. I mean, can you imagine to be known for your failure? Can you imagine for your identity to be wrapped up in your failure? This is what he was known for. Throughout scripture, he's alluded to different things, but often when he's alluded to different things, he's alluded to things that's connected to negative stuff and and with money and and there's things wrong with his heart, but he was nonetheless a disciple. I want you to listen to what takes place in Luke 22, verse 47. It says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with the kiss? Now, if you never read this scripture, let, let me help you understand and unpack it a little bit um, of why this is so challenging for me to understand. Because the scripture says that he was one of the 12, which means that he was a person that jo- Jesus chose to come into his circle. This man was a, was a no, nobody out there doing what he does. We really don't know, but we understand that when Jesus called people, he gave them value. When Jesus calls people, he gives, the, the value is found in the name of Jesus and in the relationship with Jesus. And so when he called the disciples, they automatically had value because he gave them value. And he brought them in and invited them into a life of intimacy, a life of transformation. So he picks the 12, and and we don't exactly know how he picked Judas, but we know that Judas was part of the 12, which means he brought Judas in his close circle, which means Judas ate with him. Judas saw when he was tired, he saw his humanity. He saw, think about this, he saw when Jesus was human. Like Jesus let him in. He was vulnerable. He let him in the circle that closely. He not only saw his humanity, but he saw his divinity. He saw that Jesus was the son of God, that he was God in the flesh. He was doing these miracles, this crazy stuff. You would think, I'm this close to Jesus. This is the real deal. I don't want to go anywhere else. But it exposes a reality that's a reality for all of us in this room today, that you can walk closely and intimately with Jesus and still be influenced by Satan. That you can walk so closely, and you know what I mean, because you have probably at some point in your life, you have made a poor decision and you didn't understand because you were walking closely with Christ and you did not understand how you can be influenced by the enemy. And you know what's interesting about this is we try to figure out why did this happen to Judas? How did this happen? 
that Jesus let him in his circle only for Judas to betray him with the kiss. And when you look throughout scripture, here's what you can see. Scripture says that Satan entered Judas' heart. He entered through a place of insecurity and vulnerability. Judas was concerned about money. Look at the scriptures. When you follow his life, there's little hints that he, he has a desire of money. So the enemy entered through the place of that vulnerability and insecurity. You have to know that any place in your heart that you have not allowed Jesus to reign over is a place that is vulnerable and insecure for the enemy to walk through. The enemy will target the place in your heart that you haven't surrendered over to God. So that means in your heart, if there is something you are not trusting God with, protection, provision, whatever it may be, you must understand that that is an open door for the enemy to walk through your vulnerability. Think about the times that you have fallen and sinned. You were probably seeking power or affirmation or significance. What did the enemy do? He found out that you had a desire for affirmation, power, and significance. So through that open door that you have not allowed Jesus to reign over, he walked through and used against you. It's amazing how the enemy will take something in your heart and use it against you. This idol turns against you if you're not careful. What blows my mind about this text, I I cannot for the life of me understand my prayer as a pastor. God, would you... Would you take me to the place as a man of God who can wash the feet of people that are going to hurt me? Because I have to be honest with you as a pastor, if I smell that you have the potential to hurt me or my family, you get the Heisman all day. Like You do not come close to me if I smell it. But there's a problem because that's conditional love. That's not unconditional love because unconditional love will be what Christ did to allow the Judases of the life to come close, understanding that they would potentially hurt. Jesus knew Judas would betray him and he still washed his feet. In Christianity today, we only want to wash the feet of those that will do something for us. But we don't want to wash the feet of those that will potentially hurt us. And I would tell you that is not Christianity. I am not saying to be blind about protecting yourself because trust me, my life is like target circles. There's that circle that I'm tight with and then it gets a lot, but you know, you gotta, have, you gotta be wise, you gotta use discernment, you gotta know who you can trust and can't trust. But, but in this moment, I cannot understand how Jesus allowed Judas to come close and betray him, and he betrayed him with the kiss. Every person in this room will experience being kissed by Judas. You will either be kissed or you will do the kissing. But all of us will experience what it means to have pain so deep that it begins to own your life and everything that you do and you don't know how to break out of it. I've understood that the deeper I am hurt, the harder it is to forgive. It's real cute to preach about. It's real hard to live out. 
The deeper the wound, the harder it is to forgive. And for all of my life, I have thought that I was in control of those that have hurt me. I really thought that I was the gatekeeper who decided the person's sentence and how long they were going to stay in the prison of unforgiveness. And then I would let them out when I thought we were even. Only to recognize while I thought I was the gatekeeper, I was actually the prisoner in prison to my own unforgiveness. You won't, let me tell you right now, biblically, you will not know what it's like to be fully free until you have fully forgiven. And I know you are thinking, but you don't understand what they have done to me. You don't understand. Listen, I, I, I do not understand your pain, but I do understand that my Bible says that vengeance and justice is his. And he can do a better job than I can do. I must leave it at the cross for Jesus to take care of. And I must trust this thing of forgiveness, which, by the way, is an everyday decision. It's not a one-time transaction. And what keeps me from forgiving, if I'm being honest, is because I think that if I forgive, I let them off the hook. So I will be the judge who sentences them to a trial. And I determine how long their sentence will be. And you know what keeps me? Is it's, it's, if I'm, it's my pride. I want people to know that somebody hurt me. And I want everyone to know that it, who it was and what they did. And here's what I recognize. Forgiving someone, you could write this down, forgiving someone will cost you your pride, but not forgiving them will cost you your freedom. Forgiving someone will cost you your pride. Because it means that you relinquish control in what happens to them. It means that you trust God with their life. Do you have anybody? Let's unpack this together. you have anybody in your life who's, when you hear their name, you just can't stand hearing this, their name? You have anybody in your life when you go on social media, you cannot stand to see them on social media. You cannot stand to look at their life, yet you won't unfollow them. I can't stand this person. Wonder what they're up to. I hope, I hope their life sucks. You look them up and it looks like God is blessing them and you get angry. You ever been there? And you're like, it's not fair, God. They should not be blessed and loved by you because of what they've done to me. Does it ever cross your mind that you're that somebody and it's somebody else's life? And man, if we are not careful, psychologists say, these are secular psychologists. This is not Christian study. Psychologists would say that when patients come in, they did a patient study with those that have a problem forgiving and they're living in unforgiveness and it has taken years and days off of their life mentally, emotionally, and physically. It's amazing how many people we hold in the prison of unforgiveness and the people don't even know what they did towards us. We live in a culture of offense. We're offended by everything. And so we begin to hate people and we put them in the prison of unforgiveness and half the people don't even know what they did wrong. It's like, well, yeah, well, they didn't respond quick enough, so I don't like them now. Well, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. They didn't know they were supposed to do it, but they didn't do it. They should have known they were supposed to do it. And I don't like them now. How's it working out for you? 
And, and you live in this prison of unforgiveness and it's exhausting and it's draining. And it's, here's my goal and desire for you today. Um, I have shared too much of my story with you and you've heard the things that I've walked through. So I understand what it means to have to make a decision to forgive. You have to make a decision to forgive. What we're gonna do today, here's all I wanna do. I don't want you to think, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. I want you to examine your own heart and ask God, who is in my life that I have not forgiven? Who have I suppressed? Because here's what I've recognized, that unforgiveness and peace and anger cannot reside in the same heart. And unforgiveness clouds the voice of God. If you ever feel like it's hard to hear God and you have hate in your heart for other people, that's probably why it's hard to hear God. Because you're clogging the pipeline with unforgiveness. You've clouded the pipeline because unforgiveness is ultimately a sinful thing if he calls us to forgive those that have offended us. If we choose not to, it clouds the Holy Spirit discernment. And you're gonna see this in scripture, by the way. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. There are, there are several quotes, quotes working up to the to this scripture that I want you to listen to, which are three of my favorite that I have found. Listen to this. This is from Charles Stanley. Unforgiveness is emotional bondage. And let me just tell you, the worst thing to do is wait for someone to say they're sorry before you decide to forgive. I don't know if you've ever been at the place where you've worked it up and you build up the courage to reach out and say you're sorry. And you thought that the person was going to say, thanks for forgiving me. But instead they said, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do anything. And it makes you angry. This is why forgiveness has to be dealt with in your own heart and not dependent on how somebody else responds. Unforgiveness is emotional bondage that consumes minds with memories of offense, distorts emotions with revenge, and fills hearts with churning unrest. Listen to this one. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Is that not true? We can preach it all day long and preach the love and forgiveness of Christ, but then we don't want to extend it. This is probably my favorite. Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else's crime. Then when we choose to unforgive, we get bitter and we place ourselves in the prison for someone else's crime. Let's unpack the scripture now to see what the Bible has to say about this. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and he's writing to the church because um, they're just, they seem a bit disgruntled. There's bitterness, there's backbiting, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and in this time, probably like much today, there's so many unmet, unspoken expectations we put on people. There are so many unmet and unspoken expectations we put on, we put on people. We put it on our spouses to do the dishes, when they get home, as if I, if I should have known that you wanted me to, to I mean, as, as if. Someone say, watch out. But there, there are so many unspoken expectations that we place on people. They don't fulfill them. And we put them in the prison of unforgiveness. And they have no clue they're there. 
Paul is writing because he understands this is happening in the church and he wants them to be free. And so he reminds them of what happens. Not only have I seen this in the church, hurt people hurt people and hurt people cause division. And hurt people love to bring people into their misery. And hurt people want them to hate the same thing they hate and the same people they hate. You ever recognize that? They want you to hate with them. Come join my misery. And let's keep talking about this together. And so Paul is trying to break that apart to help them understand they're not only hurting the church, but most importantly, in my opinion, look at this. He says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is a great theological statement here because here's what it's allowing us to understand that the Holy Spirit of God, the Trinity, um, three in one, that's what we believe here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person of God. It's not an object. It's a person of God. The grieving expounds on the person of God to help us to understand that the Holy Spirit that resides in us as Christians is grieved. Listen, it is grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved. This is why sometimes um, when you feel like you you can't hear from God or it's heavy or you feel like, God, I don't know what's going on, but there's turmoil. Something is wrong within me. Sometimes it's because the Holy Spirit is being grieved with unconfessed sin. That there's sin that's residing and reigning in your heart that cannot coexist with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will not let that sin live in peace in your heart. So therefore, the Holy Spirit will make it uncomfortable. And there's this grieving process that the Holy Spirit has that, that's kind of a, an invitation and an indication that you need to confess what's in your heart to get it out. So the grieving of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to, see, I'm going to show you where it's, where it's coming from. The grieving of the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed with, this is the Christians, the Holy Spirit uh, resides in you and it doesn't leave. It doesn't leave. You can grieve it, but it doesn't leave you. It will never leave you nor forsake you. It is permanent. You are sealed. It is there. Okay? And so there's the Holy Spirit. You can, you can seal it. It's, it's kind of like a relationship um, um, with, with, with my wife, right? I, I, I can grieve her. I can upset her. I can, but, but there's a relationship here. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship with you and the Holy Spirit for the day of re redemption, the end time. Now... This grieving is connected, verse 30 is connected to verse 31. Now we're about to unpack exactly what he is speaking about that's in the heart of the human. This is important because this is a great um, indicator of is, if this is in your heart, you have to be aware that the enemy has planted a seed of bitterness and it will produce fruit. The enemy wants to birth the seed that he has planted, the, the, the fruit. He wants, to, he wants to come alive. He wants to give it life. And I'm going to show you how he unpacks this. So here's what Paul says. We're going to look at verse 31 and we'll be done. Here's what he says. Let all bitterness. This word bitterness uh, means that there's something that's been planted in the heart. It's been there long enough to where um, you, have, you have this distaste for somebody. So this, this distaste from somebody is because the, the pain is real. It really happened. It is there. Here is the pain. And you don't know what to do with the pain because forgiveness is not an option yet because it wouldn't be fair to let them off the hook. So I'm going to sit here with this pain. But this pain, this seed of pain is going to produce something if you don't do something with it. And here's what happens. The seed of pain, there's bitterness. You grow a distaste for a person. You cannot stand their name. You cannot stand their face. You cannot stand them. You are angry when you hear about them. You cannot stand any piece of them. And it's sitting there in your heart 
forget the fact that they are made in the image of God and God loves them and dies for them, you exit that out of your mind because the pain is too great for you to even think about God loving them. So this bitterness sits there, you have a bitter taste towards them, but look, it's producing something. At this point, when you don't deal with this, the enemy has hooked you. How has the enemy hooked you? Watch this. If bitterness resides in your heart, where do you think the enemy is going to enter? Through that place in your heart of bitterness. And I want you to see, we're going to expose the enemy. I want you to see what he begins to, to do through this door. And this, is, this could be a person. It can be a church. It can be all kinds of stuff. But when there's a root of bitterness, here's what happens next. Wrath begins to build up. Here's what this wrath is. It is this passion where you get so angry, you want to do something about it, you want to act on it, you want to hurt the person, and and here's what you've been doing. You've been thinking about, I don't know if you've ever done this, you were hurt, and then you just keep processing the hurt. You just keep, you you, you replay, it's it's on instant replay, it's ESPN's top 10 in your head. And it's like the more you replay it, and then you start adding stuff to it, like, did they say this? I don't know if they did, but I think they wanted to say it. Now I don't like them for this. And then you see them post something. It's like, was that towards me? Is that passive aggressive? And then you see their friend. You think their friend look at you cockeyed. And you're like, you want some too? Do you know what I'm talking about? And then it's like there's this anger and there's this wrath and and you have created this narrative and you keep reading the novel and every once in a while the enemy will throw another word at you or he'll remind you of the pain and he'll whisper, they got let off the hook. Look at them. They're living so free. God is blessing them. And you're sitting here in your misery and you become more angry and all of a sudden this wrath builds up and this wrath builds up in your heart because you didn't uproot the seed of bitterness. So now it's turned into this wrath because you've been watering the narrative and the seed that the enemy has planted. And when you begin to water the narrative that this, of the seed that the enemy has planted, when you water the enemy's narrative, it will produce fruit and tell his story. See, and the problem is too many Christians are telling the enemy's story because you've allowed him to take root in your heart and you've allowed him to write the narrative and you've allowed him, allowed him to use you as a person or people group that he will use to hurt the church. When you don't enter, watch this, when you don't uproot bitterness, you enter the enemy's playground and you begin to play by his rules and you don't even know you're doing it because watch what happens next. There's the seed that's what's planted, you water it, here's a narrative and the wrath, you're angry, but the anger, this passion just can't sit there, right? This, it turns in, which in the Greek, this is another word for hate. Now you begin to hate somebody's guts that badly. Now you're at the place where this hurt has turned into you hating someone, but it never just stops at hate. Hate is not enough because it's gone. Watch this. The enemy will plant it in the heart and he'll produce it in the hand. The enemy will plant it in the heart and he'll produce it in the hand. What do you mean by that, pastor? Well, I mean you left the open door for the enemy to get in your heart and the enemy is going to change your belief system with the wrath. And when he changed your belief system, he's going to change your behavioral system. All because we didn't do what the Bible said, forgive. And when you don't do what the Bible says, there's always consequences, whether we like it or not. 
There's always consequences when you don't obey the Bible. And let me just tell you, even delayed obedience is disobedience. Be a professional confessor. Because when you're not, you leave space for the enemy to come in and write a narrative. When you confess, you uproot his strategy. But when you allow the seed to stay there and be planted, watch what happens. And we see this. This is why... It's really sad, but this is why so many people leave. When you look at why people are leaving the church, one of the main things is they say, man, they're just mean. Church people can be mean. And they slander and they gossip and they go to their Bible studies. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I hear this all the time. I'm like, you know, I wish I can defend it, but you're not wrong. So then I got to pull up, you know, we're all broken people. You know, God loves us all. But inside, I'm like, gosh, you're right. Like, you're right. Why haven't we let God reign in these areas of our hearts? You know what happens when you don't let God reign in the area of your heart of forgiveness? You begin to play God. And you take control of the situation. Pride takes over because you don't trust God. And when you begin to anger, watch this, now it turns into a behavior. Clamor, you know what clamor is? Clamor um, in scripture is used when somebody would announce a wedding. So the bride is going to come. They would draw attention to the bride and to the, to the occasion. So they would say, hey, everybody. And they would want to draw attention to it, right? They would want everybody to know this is going on. And so what the Bible is saying is that when there is hurt and there is unforgiveness, um, put away clamor. What does this mean? Uh, it means stop posting about it, stop talking about it, stop telling people about it. Let me tell you why. There is a difference from venting out, whether it's with a counselor or friend, some of your wounds. That is healthy because you want to be healed. It is unhealthy when you're talking, talking out of anger. Nothing good comes out when you, when you speak out of anger. Hurt people hurt people. And that's what ends up happening here. So what happens is the hurt person cannot stop telling about who and how they were hurt. Let me tell you what happens when you keep talking about it. When you allow God to bring the healing in your life, it's like you have an open wound and the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to, to stitch up and sew this wound. And he starts to close the wound with these stitches and he's healing you. When you begin to talk about it because you feel like you are justified by talking about it, out of anger, you begin to uh, poke out all of the stitches and open the wound back up. So part of the reason why you haven't healed is because you haven't stopped talking about it. You keep taking the stitches off of what God is trying to heal. And you think by talking about it, it'll bring you justice. It's not bringing you justice. It's prolonging the healing. Let me just tell you, I have been in a place where two years I talked about the same pain and I got tired of hearing myself talk about it. It's like, I got to figure this out. This is exhausting. And man, it's embarrassing to admit to you, but as your pastor, I went, I went through these steps. I went through, I was bitter and it felt unfair. It felt unfair. 
and I boiled it and I created this narrative in my head and I got angry and then I would start telling everyone about it so I can be justified and people will feel sorry for me. And, and then here is why, and the scripture begins, to un- this is why the Bible is so good. It begins to unfold itself. Look at what continues to happen if you don't cut it off at the root, then slander happens. You know what slander is? It's defamation of one's character. What we are doing, we're slandering someone who's made in the image of God. Here's what we are doing. We do not want people to like the person that hurt us. So we will do everything that we can to change the way we all view the person that hurt us. And you slander their name, you defame their name, the very person that Christ died for. And you think when you get to this position of... Here, 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 and here, and here, you begin to do the devil's work. It's very hard to hear, but I've been there. Nothing unifying and Holy Spirit gratifying comes out of this process. While you're playing judge, you're not. There's one judge, and he knows exactly what to do and how to do it. And, and let me tell you, like, I've been here, and so I know it's hard. I know it seems unfair, uh, but let me tell you what takes place next. Put away from you all this along with malice. You know what malice is, and I'm going to be done here in a minute. Uh, ma- malice is when you hate somebody so much that you desire pain for their life. That you... You hate somebody so much because of what they've done to you or how they hurt you that you desire pain for them. And the truth is, what's crazy is it's a cycle because the pain on their life is never enough because some of you have experienced you desiring pain on somebody else's life. You saw the pain happen, but for some reason it didn't feel better, did it? And, and this malice of how we want to hurt people and how we want, we want them to, to, to experience the pain. We desire pain for those that hurt us, and I get it. But let me just tell you that sometimes forgiveness has to come before justice. Sometimes forgiveness has to come before justice. And, and as I said before, and the band's going to come up and we're going to do some heart work, but forgiving someone will cost you your pride, but not forgiving them will cost you your freedom. So here's my challenge for you this morning. The scripture is very clear, and I don't know where you I don't know where you are, and we're gonna break apart verse 32. Today you're probably wondering, like, well, tell me how to forgive. Here's the thing. I, I want you to acknowledge what's in your heart towards people or a person. And I want you to be free. But the way you have to do that is bring that to God first. You gotta bring it to God and you gotta allow God to expose what's in your heart. And look, in this room, you may have been through all kinds of abuse. You may have been through deep betrayal, deep, I don't know. You can list it in your life and none of it I take lightly this morning. None of it, none of it. But I, I am desperate for you as your friend and as your pastor and for myself to experience what it means to be fully free. Man, I, I, don't, I don't want you to be a prisoner. I don't want you to have a chip on your shoulder and to be bitter. I don't want you to have to make a point to be cold towards someone, to let them know you don't like them. None of that is biblical. None of that is God honoring. None of that is healing. It all opens up the stitch to the wound and prolongs your healing. 
And so this morning, you probably have names in your head. Some of you, it's probably a, a father that walked out. Listen, daddy wounds are hard. I, and I have recognized at 38 years old, I have to make a decision every single day to forgive those that have hurt me. It's not a one-time transaction. This word forgiven here, you see in verse 32, it's a continual action. It's representative of what God does for us. He doesn't have the on and off switch for forgiveness. It is this continual river of forgiveness that lavishes us when we fall. And maybe you have been the victim and prisoner to your own sin and you haven't forgiven yourself. Maybe you are the person I'm talking about and you can't stand yourself because you can't break out of that sinful habit. Let me just tell you, like God loves you. And he doesn't even want you to be a prisoner to yourself. He wants you to be free. He wants you to set people free. So man, I don't know who it is that's hurt you. I don't know what church. I don't know what person. I don't know who didn't do something you thought they should have done and didn't know about it. But what I'm encouraging you to do is to bring it to Jesus this morning. We're gonna have pastors up here. We're gonna have the altars open. Last hour, people were coming forward and and just getting on their knees and saying, God, help me. This is step one. Next week, we'll unpack the steps of biblical forgiveness. Today is acknowledging, God, I need your help and I cannot fully forgive without the help of the Holy Spirit. It's, It's almost impossible. It is impossible to forgive without the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle to forgive. Father, I don't know, I don't know what, what relationships in this room, maybe, maybe it's people in this very same room, they gotta walk over to their friends, I'm tired of being chained, I'm sorry, maybe it's their spouse. I, I don't know, God, I don't know what people have walked through, but you do and you don't want us to be prisoners. You don't want us to pay the offense of somebody else's crime. So God, would you work in our hearts? Would you give people courage to even come forward and speak to staff to say, I need prayer. God, I need your help. Because many of us, many of us don't want to change the way we look and view people because we feel like they don't deserve it. So God, would you help us, all of us, Help us just to acknowledge I have a problem, I'm bitter. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.